Ladies and gentlemen, it's Paul, U.S. Army Combat Veteran, and welcome back to the podcast. I know I've been away for a while, but we're bringing it back. The important thing is the topic of conversation. Is the failing U.S. economy actually going to be a boon for Ukraine and Ukrainian forces in this conflict? Maybe, just maybe. Let me break down why. So if you haven't been living under a rock, you know that the U.S. economy is probably headed for a recession. In fact, we might actually be in a recession. Uh, the inflation that the Fed thought was going to be just a transient, passing, sort of turn the lights back on after the COVID lockdowns has actually been pretty permanent. Uh, Pent-up spending has created massive backlogs in the ability to get just about every good to the U.S. And you see it in the price of groceries, uh, gasoline, uh, cars, new and used. It's a, a pretty scary time to be a regular consumer living paycheck to paycheck. And while employment's high, wages haven't really kept pace. In fact, last quarter, we've seen U.S. GDP shrink, uh, which means that if it shrinks when the next quarter date is out, we will officially be in a recession. So we may be in a recession right now. We just don't know it yet. Uh, but in response to these conditions, of course, the Fed has the Federal uh, uh, Federal Reserve has raised interest rates by 0.75%, which is a massive hike, something we haven't seen in 40 plus years. Now, let's talk about what happens in general when there is a recession. So a normal recession, you have two place you have two toolboxes where your tools to to manage the economy live monetary and fiscal policy monetary policy is everything the fed can do mostly we think of it as raising interest rates that's what makes the news but raising interest rates is almost always accompanied by other policy changes uh raising what's called the overnight rate sometimes doing what it called quantitative easing where they would buy or sell bonds on the open market there's a variety of tools available to the fed uh to help put money into the economy or pull money out of it the other side, though, is what's more interesting, and this is called fiscal policy. This is what Congress gets to do because they're in charge of government spending. So they can decide to spend or not spend in response to economic conditions. And that's the toolkit that I think is most important right now. So in a regular now, this is not a regular recession. It's what's called stagflation, where you have a stagnant economy that isn't growing, but inflation is still taking place. And before the 1980s, the thought was that this wasn't really possible, since the theory goes that you know, when prices rise, businesses make more money, businesses spend more money growing their business because the business is making great money. And then the additional surge in the economy creates hiring, creates production, and grows the economy. Uh, it was thought to be impossible, but as we've seen, when you raise commodity prices, like you saw in the late 70s, early 80s, of course, things that have to be imported from overseas, yes, the oil companies are making awesome money. The Saudis are rolling in money like they always are. Uh, even, unfortunately, the Russians are kind of rolling in money as commodity prices and oil prices are so very high. But for the U.S. that doesn't have a big mining or even a very large oil and gas operation in its, inside the country, 
it's not really the money isn't working its way back to consumers. So we see higher prices, but we don't see a growing economy. We see a shrinking economy. And that's the danger with stagflation because you have Remember your two toolkits. The Fed is doing everything right using monetary policy. They're trying to pull money out of the system so that there is the prices rise less slowly or less fast. And this can work. Uh, but the other side of the coin is that fiscal policy. Well, what do you do when you're the federal government or in stag you're facing stagflation? Or rather, what don't you do? What you can't do is put more money out into the system. You want to try to minimize the amount of extra money you're pumping into the economy. That means you can't have debt-fueled spending. So if we end up in a stagflation situation, you can expect that the U.S. government, or at least Congress, is going to choose to spend a lot, a lot less uh, especially when Congress likes to do what's called deficit spending. This is basically borrowing money, uh, borrowing money from other people and spending it on government uh, programs. So, and as you can imagine, during an economic crisis, U.S. voters are pretty mad. Their lives are getting worse by the second. So Congress, when they need to cut spending, they are going to cut the spending that benefits people who, and this is important, don't vote. So who doesn't vote? Well, obviously, uh, there's lots of people that don't vote. Uh, very recent immigrants who may not have citizen, you know, non-citizen immigrants. Uh, children don't vote. Um, but most importantly in this example, foreign country residents don't vote. Ukrainians like Canadians, don't vote in U.S. elections, which means that pissing off the Ukrainians, like pissing off the Canadians, won't affect a politician's chances of getting elected. And since Congress is run by elected politicians exclusively, you can bet that when they need to cut spending, the first people that they're going to cut is going to be foreign aid, U.S. money that goes overseas to help others with all sorts of, and, and with strings attached to achieve U.S. objectives. So, in the event of stagflation and the U.S. government being told, or Congress realizing that it can't spend so much damn money all the time, well, the first people to get cut are going to be the Ukrainians. Now, and other military aid programs. But, there's a but. If the Federal Reserve can get control of inflation, and it's going to be tough, and it's going to be a lot of raised basis points, but if they can pull it off, then you'll just have a regular recession. And this is what might be great for Ukraine. To understand why, we have to look back. And I'm going to pull up a chart of our friends, the S&P. Uh, and uh, don't worry, audio listeners, I'm just going to narrate through this. So for those of you that are millennials like me, which people have started calling me boomer in the comments, I understand the military ages you in dog years. Yes, bald, graying beard, and I still got it. Um, that's not the point. The point is, I remember 2000. Yes, 22 years ago. I was 13, something like that. Anyway, point is, the 2000 was the first dot-com bubble. When people correctly realized that the internet was going to change the world, they just didn't realize exactly how. And you had pets.com, the order, the 
only website where you can order a dog collar and have it delivered to your door at a tremendous markup. But there was a lot of rampant speculation of tech companies. And then around March of 2000, the tech bubble, the dot-com bubble burst, and the U.S. entered a recession. It was made even worse by the attacks of September 11th. And you can see here, I'm tracing right along, I'm pushing it down between March of 2000, the S&P was at 1500, and it fell month after month after month, and by February of 2002, it had lost like a third of its value. And then finally, it bottomed out in January of 2003 at just 900, it looks like around 850. So that's almost 50% of its value going up in smoke. So what did the U.S. do in response to this failing economy? Well, when you have a failing economy, you can stimulate it at times through government spending. Who doesn't love a little government spending? And people were unemployed. Remember, in a recession, it's easy to know what to do. People are unemployed. There's not enough money to go around. And so what the government can do is put money into the system. So what the United States did is it, after 9-11, it realized it had an opportunity. And it said, listen, there's a, a variety of legal reasons, but U.S. said, hey, listen, we are going to go on a massive spending program. Massive at the time. We've since come up with spending programs that make that look like uh, a trip to 7-Eleven. But at the time, it was a massive government spending program. We created the TSA, an agency that uh, explicitly could employ people all across the country in the thousands in secure government jobs. And frankly, they didn't need a whole lot of training because they were just checking bags for things. They also, you know, invaded two countries or invaded Iraq, which meant that for years there was a massive, massive amount of government spending that went towards uh, every facet of the Department of Defense operations. That included, of course, uh, soldiers, uh, sailors, airmen, and Marines. Right, You could always, for basically the entirety of 2003 all the way through 2012, the army uh, and military was happy to soak up excess uh, people who were coming right out of high school. Maybe they didn't have a ton of job prospects. I actually went through basic training. Yes, I was one of the few officers that actually went through basic training. Uh, and when I went through, there were lots of people in their mid to late 20s who said, I used to be a truck driver, an oil rig worker, a uh, 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 you know customer service rep, and they said I got fired, and now I realized the army was going to give me a fifty thousand dollar bonus to drive a fuel truck in Iraq. But nonetheless, to their credit, they signed up. They said I have a family to take care of, and they did it. And that was actually not an accident. The U.S. They didn't just invade a country to stimulate the economy. They thought they were killing two birds with one stone. They thought by invading Iraq that they could both achieve a foreign policy objective and the spending would stimulate the economy. But it wasn't just hiring more military. Remember, every bomb, bullet, fighter jet, artillery piece, Humvee is all built by civilian contractors. The Department of Defense builds not a single one of its own equipment. Everything is done by private companies that actually you can invest in. You can buy Lockheed Martin stock. You can buy Harris stock. Makes all of our radios and telecom. You can buy lots and lots and lots of defense contractors. It's a booming industry. And 
you can imagine that industry works hard to lobby Congress since if you're a defense industry, that is the only customer you have. Sometimes you can sell it to other countries too who are strong U.S. allies, but basically the Department of Defense is your only customer. So you can bet they lobbied hard to get a little bit of that sweet, sweet stimulus package. And they did. So for the better part of a decade, one of the largest sources of government spending was actually on war material. It was a miniature version of the World War II knocking the Great Depression out through massive government spending. But, so, obviously, there is, as of right now, no war taking place. So what does that mean for Ukraine? Well, Ukraine is actually a perfect recipient of lots and lots of U.S. military aid and equipment. So if we can tamp down inflation, I suspect that you will see Congress try to stimulate the economy by giving money to its old friend, the defense contractors. And the nice thing is, is that this is for a U.S. politician, perfect. It's the right thing to do for the economy, stimulate it by giving it money, but it's also politically easy because non-voters are the ones who get killed. And if I sound like a cynic, it's because I'm incredibly cynical, but this is how politicians think, right? U.S. public will not be upset necessarily at Ukrainians getting killed the same way they would if it was, you know, say, U.S. troops in Iraq. All that to say, guys, that's why I think that if Ukraine, uh, if we can tamp down inflation, Ukraine may just get a tremendous more military supplies than they could ever need. Anyway, be sure to subscribe, become a Patreon member. Thanks for watching.